Die Grenzwacht hielt im Osten dem Feinde lange Stand. Heut kehrt ihr letzter Posten zurück ins Vaterland. All right. Welcome to episode six of History Music Podcast. This is your host, Scott Gifford, and I'm joined here with uh, Sean Oborn. How you doing, Sean? Hey, man. Officially the co-host now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are officially the co-host. Welcome. I'll, I'll, get, I'll send you the, your, uh, your official co-host stuff later. Thanks, man. I'm still waiting for that royalty check, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you officially get... A percentage of the of the cut here. Nice. Throw some pennies at him. What was that? Was that? Just throw some pennies at him for his royalty. Yeah. 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 Yes. In fact, do do you know what? Now that you're now that you're officially co-host, you can actually help uh, fund the podcast. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, it nice. Actually, goes the other way. Tax <laughs> donation can help can help build the podcast. Yeah. We're, we're also joined here by uh, Nim. How you doing, Nim? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you Thanks, for being man. here, man. It's it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, really, we we've been uh, going back and forth trying to get this episode going for a while. And I'm glad it's finally happening. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah, and, yeah. and for those that don't know, they're listening at home. Uh, Nim is actually a highly esteemed podcast guest, Ironside Podcast, Spiritual Arson. I mean, you name it, he's been on it. So we're 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 thrilled to have you here, man. It's a pleasure. All the cultivation of all my podcast work has led me to this moment. <laughs> We're very flattered. Dude, our listener will be so happy to hear you. Our, yeah, I'm, it's an honor for them to listen to such a esteemed philosopher. <laughs> and yes. published author. Yeah, published author as well. The, the, so. the esteemed author of The Nim Stack is here with us. It, it's pretty. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, you've, you've heard of it for sure. So, Nim, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man, before we get into the song. I am a frog on Twitter, and uh, I run the Nim Stack. The Nim Stack is my Substack where I post uh, my historical findings and uh, philosophical thoughts for everyone to enjoy. And that's what I do. Can I ask a question about the Nim Stack? You can ask as many questions about the NIM stack as you'd like. Beautiful. So I've read through several of your articles. They're all very well done. My question and something I just thought of, what was it that originally inspired you to start the NIM stack or start writing and, and publishing it for all to see? Uh, I just had things that I wanted to say and Substack seemed like a good format to say it where... I didn't particularly like the Twitter format because I had to keep things short and concise. Substack allowed me to sort of expand my thoughts and and that, that and that's where the NIM stack came in. And then also there were there was research that I wanted to do on historical topics like this that I wanted to publish. And yeah, the NIM stack was the medium for that. Yeah, I I've noticed I mean you mentioned you're a frog on Twitter and that comes with some uh, uh some like I guess preconceived notions uh, and some baggage. <laughs> but what, what I what I'm uh, bringing up or why I bring that up is uh, it seems like on your Substack you're you you're in a different headspace. It's a different outlet for you. 
compared to your Twitter persona, I suppose. Is that is that intentional? Well, I use frog sort of ironically. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's different. The medium is just different. Uh, the things people expect from you on those different sites are different, so you act differently. It's like uh, you talk to your friends differently than the way you talk to your parents, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, those different contexts just make you speak a little differently. I thoroughly enjoy your Twitter uh, feed. It's yeah. great. Thanks. But I, I equally enjoy the the Nimstack. From from what I've read, I haven't read all of it. You're you're pretty prolific. Yeah, uh, it's it's but it's been fun to see kind of the more scholarly side of you. I suppose you'd say. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad people get to see that side of me. Know that I'm more than just a guy on Twitter. Right. Yeah, and that's I kind of feel like that's kind of how this podcast has turned out a little bit for both Sean and I. We're trying to do something a little that that will be beyond us, beyond our just our kind of silly Twitter thing, you know. Well, it's a way it's a way for us to kind of show our uh, more serious side, although I, I don't like being serious, so I have a hard time <laughs> yeah, with it. But yeah, we don't necessarily have to be uh, like on all the time. We don't have to be like trying to crack jokes this whole podcast. But if if a joke comes to your head, we're not we're not like a, a stuffy podcast, you know. Yeah, these uh, long format projects like Substacks and podcasts have become modern equivalents of Kleosis, which is like the Greek word for eternal glory. I've sort of written about a little bit. Because mm-hmm. you don't, you, you sort of uh, more or less uh, probably don't want people in like 500 years to remember you by your Twitter, but you do, you wouldn't mind if they remembered you by these podcasts and these sub stacks that we're all doing now. So this is, this is like the modern way to cement yourself into eternity now. Yeah, that, that's kind of true. I disagree. I actually, everything I tweet, I imagine it being argued about in like whatever the version of the Agora is in like a thousand years. <laughs> But maybe yeah. you guys are you can do whatever you want. I get, I guess. <laughs> yeah, if if you yeah, you can make your Kleos whatever you want. Actually, that's sort of the cool thing about it. Yeah, yeah they, they can, they'll be arguing in a thousand years. So, what did he actually mean when he said said based here, based on yeah. what, like when he said it there? Yeah. Theories in the meaning of red pilled. <laughs> um, so another another Nimstack question, Nim, and you can answer this however you however you want to. Hmm. So I know you mentioned earlier that you were kind of doing some of your own research and your own thoughts that you had. And that's sort of what inspired you to start the NIMSTAC in the first place. Talking about the research part that you mentioned, do you have like a, a method for how you research stuff or the topics you are researching? Like, is it for a, a class you're doing? Is it just like thoughts that come into your head? Like, Hey, I want to research, you know, World War One Germany or whatever. Is it, how do you, how do you approach like what you're researching or what you're going to write about? It's it's not uh, really that complicated. I find a subject that I'm in, that just interests me, and I go from there. I saw so in the case of the Baltic Fry Corps, I saw that there wasn't as much research out there as, or at least accessible research out there as I would like there to be. So I decided that I would do it, and um, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, and it, sort of everything else that I read or write about just sort of because I want to and I find interest in it. Cool. I like that. Follow your interests. 
Well, and sometimes that's kind of why we do this podcast in the first place is, I mean, how many people are out there like, I can't find the content I want to consume. I guess I'll have to make it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that has a very, very common occurrence. That's kind of what Scott and I are doing now. Um, so now, Nim, have you read uh, Ernst von Solomon's The Outlaws? I have read uh, excerpts of it. Okay, cool. Yep, I, I have it. It's on my, I own it. It's on my to read list, but I have not cracked it open yet, but I hear it's very good. Yeah, it, from the excerpts that I've read, it's really good. I've had to read excerpts of it for some of my research. I do plan on uh, completing it soon. So uh, cool. as far as um, your studies into the, the history revolving around this song with the fry cores mm-hmm. and stuff, what, what's your long-term goal with it? Uh, the long-term goal are, are books, pretty much. Um that includes original translations of interwar texts and also articles and essays on on the interwar period which i've sort of already started with the with the nim stack do, do you like aspire to be like a top mind in that realm of of history yeah i mean i guess you could say that you know, the the aspiration sort of becomes a necessity kind of because well there's not a whole lot of other people doing it Mm-hmm. So if you do it for like, you know, not even that long, you sort of get there anyway. But yeah, the getting as competent as I can about this period of history is sort of the goal, because I think it's I think a lot can be learned about this period of history where everything sort of just falls apart you know, on the European continent. Mm-hmm. So have you have you found anybody else other than you that, that you've like been in contact with personally about this? I have. Yes. Nice. We are working on stuff. That's cool. Is that is that all you can tell us? It's all I can tell you for now. Big okay. things are on the way. Subscribe to the NIM stack to stay updated. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. A teaser. I like it. A, a little change of pace um, from the from the, kind of the the history stuff. What's uh because this is like a music podcast. What's your What's your uh, taste in music other than like German folk songs? <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, it used to be a lot of EDM. Okay. And as I've uh, over the past probably four years or so, that's transformed into emo rap and uh, other types of, I guess you might call indie rap or trap rap. That, that's mostly what I listen to right now. Okay. Any artists you suggest? Yeah, I mean, there's always the classics. You could always go for uh, Juice World or Lil Peep. Mm-hmm. I think if you start there, you'll find yourself in a good place eventually. Nice. And that's actually kind of speaking of music. That's sort of how we got connected. Is that's kind of how we all know each other. Is we're all sort of Twitter mutuals. But yet again, Nim is another one a member of the. Uh, <laughs> Bob the Duck music discussion chat that Scott and right. I first met on that Brett Kane was also in. Yeah, um, right. um, not not bring up uh, Bob the Duck's chat uh, challenge impossible, right? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> all of our guests are from that chat. So we got to get Bob on here, man, because he's like kind of inspired this whole thing. Yeah, that, but, that'll uh, be like the culmination of, of the podcast is having is having Bob on. Be our season finale. Have him on here and basically tell us our music, our taste of music sucks, and get out of the chat. <laughs> Yeah. That needs to be your final episode. No more episodes after that. So yeah. you, you really got to keep that one in the back pocket for That's now. True. You got to build up. Yeah. Well, hey, so the song we're talking about today 
in German is called Die Grenzwacht hielt im Osten. Mm-hmm. So, Nim, this this one is outside both of Scott and I's wheelhouse. So, tell us a little bit about the background of the song. Not necessarily the lyrics yet, but the background of the song, the historical context behind yeah. it, and, and why you picked it. So, this song was written by Karl von Manteuffel Katzangen. And he was a Baltic uh, German aristocrat. The inspiration for this song and, and for his entire musical career or poetry, rather, was that in 1905, there was a, uh, a first Russian revolution that failed. But during that revolution, there were independence movements in, in the Baltics and in, in Kurland specifically, uh, a lot of the Baltic Germans experienced the wrath of those revolutionary movements, and they pretty much destroyed the the property of the Baltic barons. And Manteuffel himself had his estate burned down by the revolutionaries. After the revolution was put down, he began reconstruction of his house, and in in that he says he found a lot of joy. And that became the beginning for his musical career. This song specifically is about returning to Riga uh, after they they've they've had to leave. Much m- most of the Baltic barons, or which was what the Baltic aristocrats were called at that time, most of the Baltic barons eventually had to leave the Baltics, and they spent. Since 1905, throughout the 19, you know, to the 1940s, they spent uh, planning their return, but ultimately it never happened. Yeah, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there were some that did return, yeah. but then during this whole, it was the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact between Nazi Germany and and communist, you know, Soviet Russia. They kind of agreed to this whole like spheres of influence. And so mm-hmm. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland was considered like Germany sort of gave that quote unquote gave that sphere of influence to Soviet Russia. And because of this secret pact they signed, any Baltic Germans that did return had to basically sort of be kind of forcibly sent back to Germany, you know, against their will. Right. Is that so? After the 1905 revolution, a lot of them returned at the beginning of the First World War because they they thought that Germany had retaken the Baltics and they could go back. But after that failed, a lot of them had to leave again. The Being Russian wasn't necessarily a problem for them because even before, uh, the, you know, during the... During the 1905 revolution, that part of the area was Russia, and they and most of the Baltic barons considered themselves Russians in an empirical sense, not not necessarily an ethnic identity as a peasant one. But they were they believed that they were part of the Russian Empire, and that created a lot of problems for them. But they had no problems being within the Russian Empire. Most of them spoke Russian, uh, in addition to their native German. After the uh, after the fall of Riga on uh, May twenty second, nineteen nineteen, when the Freikorps were forced to evacuate, yeah, not not a whole lot of uh, Baltic barons remained within the area, and actually, a lot you know the ones who did remain, a lot of them ended up in in camps eventually. 
I think it's I think it's important to point out too that Baltic Germans was a distinct German identity yeah. for hundreds of years yeah. until this this time period. Right. Um, like Corland is an area that we don't call it Corland anywhere anywhere anymore. Excuse me. It's basically just a part of Latvia that that borders the Baltic Sea, but traditionally it was like this German like Germanic sort of nation state that, that everyone spoke German, like the, the, the common folks were typically Latvians that spoke Latvian, but all of like the clergy and the merchants and the barons and sort of like the landed, you know, gentry, the landed class were German, but they were usually people that had been there for 700 years. And what, what they originally came from was there was a Northern crusade that the That's church right. sponsored um, where I believe what happened was there like this local duchy in, in, in Latvia and what we call now Latvia and Estonia, where they were having troubles with basically tribal peoples, like tribal Latvians, tribal Estonians, tribal Lithuanians. And they called on these Germanic knights called, they're called the brethren of the sword. And they basically called on them to come sort of protect them from these sort of rampaging pagans, you know? And so the, uh, the, these brethren of the sword, this Germanic sort of knight class essentially invaded this area sort of suppressed or put down all of these pagan tribal peoples, forced some to convert to Christianity, and then end up just settling there. And this is like in the 1100s, 1200s. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the first Baltic Germans. They basically had been there from the 1100s, 1200s, all the way until just after World War I. So it's crazy. They've been there for basically six, five, six, seven hundred years, you know, still speaking German, still maintaining that German identity and intermarrying a little bit with the locals. But Baltic Germans now, if you try, even you could ask a German what a Baltic German is, they may not even know because they're they're basically sort of been an erased people. They don't exist anymore, really, in any significant number, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but that that's more or less kind of where they came from and sort of where are they now, right? Yeah, that's that's almost uh, yeah, that's exactly where they came from. And the guy who wrote the song, Mentoyfeld Katzungen, um, he could he could trace his lineage in the Baltics for hundreds of years and. To have your roots that far into the ground, that's that's what motivates you to write such a poem of loss. And many of the Baltic Germans during right that time lamented that the people in the so in mainland Germany didn't know anything about him. And I mentioned in one of my articles, Heinrich von Hörner, he was quite upset um, because he was arrested um, because he and he assumed to be a Russian spy in Germany. And because the the people in the German Empire just didn't know anything about Baltic barons even or Baltic Germans even back then, let alone let alone now. That's wild. Like even their contemporaries didn't know who they were, right? But they like so so, so much of this of this song um, and this history is based in like someone's identity and how it's tied to the land that they're on and being torn away from that and what that does to your identity. That's that's really interesting. I think something else to add context to this is that Germany as a country, as we understand it, didn't become Germany until 1871. So what, 30 years, 40 years before World War I? So Germany was new at, at the time. It was a new concept. Before that, it was basically all these different like duchies and kingdoms and mm-hmm. fiefdoms, all these things. And so the largest one being Prussia. And so in 1871, Prussia basically forcibly took all the German 
you know, principalities around themselves unified them and said, okay, now we're Germany, whether you like it or not. Right. And, uh, and so it's this idea of being German, but not necessarily from Germany is kind of something I, I think maybe as Americans, you know, like modern people may not quite grasp right. because this is, this is the idea of, of, of a united Germany of German people is kind of, is kind of a recent thing, right? Yeah. 1871. And and I think our our concept of like when I brought up identity, I think our our concept of identity and personal identity and stuff like that would be so foreign to them. Like, yes, it, it's it, it's just a given for them. It's not something that you can choose. It's just it's not even something you'd think about or or any, it's yeah. Maybe you have more to, to speak on that, Nim. The Baltic barons enjoyed a very complex identity, actually. And because of its complexities in this period, you actually see the introduction of deconstruction theory and things like that. The Baltic barons were very cosmopolitan in nature, and they were very aware of it. Most of these guys, they would travel all through Europe studying various different things, art, music. Uh, Most of them spoke several languages immensely interested in in esoter- in global you know international esotericism well and while they considered themselves ethnically german they were part of the russian empire even their own perception of their own identity wasn't as you know as clear as the, uh, a modern a modern german might even have they they didn't have clean and cut identities either and uh, the lack of a clean and cut identity made made it sort of difficult for them and it, they were reluctant to leave the Baltics because that's the only place that their cosmopolitan identity made sense because it wouldn't make sense if, if you tried to explain it to someone within the German Empire or the mainland of the German Empire. Right. Is that what they were fighting for? Like their, to to prolong their, like their, I, 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 we keep using the word, identity their their stake in that like physical location yeah i mean well these uh people had estates there palaces large amounts of land mm. and all of that eventually got taken away from them and and who took it well they were taken by bolsheviks eventually and, and nationalist movements within the baltics okay it's kind of it's kind of interesting if you look now at any sort of like a historic building, castle, palace, anywhere in like Estonia, Latvia, parts of Lithuania, virtually all of them, no exceptions, were built by Baltic Germans yeah. hundreds of years ago, and they're, they're they're massive and they're absolutely beautiful, and they're very Germanic in the way they look, and they uh, some of them were bur- burned down, some were rebuilt, but. All the all the huge ones, like all the touristy ones, you're going to go see. Virtually all of them were built by Baltic Germans, who basically, again, are people that basically no longer exist. Yeah, German identitarianism only began in the Baltics uh, in reaction to the Bolsheviks movements and the independence movements of the region. Oh, so it, it, like it wasn't even needed until it was uh, challenged. Right. So um, Manteuffel Katzangen himself was a patron of Estonian artists and Estonian musicians. So were and so were a lot of the Baltic barons. They patronized Estonian or rather uh, Latvian schools and Latvian art. 
it wasn't until the 1905 revolution where the Latvian uh, nationalists and the Bolsheviks burned down their houses and their estates that German identitarianism became a necessity. Hmm. German identitarianism was seen as the only way to preserve their existence within the Baltics. Right. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, you guys, do you think that's, is that enough context to start getting into the song? It'll never be enough context. <laughs> is there, well, I'll ask Nim, is there anything else you want to give as far as a background before we hit the lyrics? We could cover the fry chords a little bit. I yeah. think that might oh, be totally. important for it. Yeah, hit sure. it, dude. Okay. Um, <laughs> where, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> core is German for free core. Yeah. Fry, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I think I know where to start. Yeah. Let's get into the etymology. What, what does it mean to yeah, be well, free? Is, just start. So, World War I just ended. Germany ended. lost. Yes. Go. <laughs> so, World War I just ended. Germany lost. And amongst the men of uh, the now defeated German army, were very complicated feelings of loss and betrayal and hopelessness. So after the return to Germany, a lot of the men decided that, you know, these, these guys were soldiers. This was sort of all they, for a lot of the younger guys, especially this is all their adult life ever knew. So they decided that uh, they had to do something about, the creeping of Asian Bolshevism into Europe. And eventually they created these groups called the Fry Corps, which pretty much just means voluntary groups, Free Corps. And they set out to various locations. These Fry Corps covered everywhere, internal conflicts within Germany, uh, within Poland and the Baltics. And in this specific case, uh, several groups of uh, Fry Corps went to the Baltics in order to defend that area, the Germans there, and even even mainland Germany from from Bolshevism. Okay, I, I assume they were paid. Who was paying them? So that's that's very interesting. So the pay came in promises to the soldiers that after they've completed their service, they would receive land in the Baltics that they could start a farm on, and or a settlement on. And these land promises came mostly from the Baltic barons. And mm-hmm. even uh, Manteuffel Katzangen himself offered land in return for the service of, of, of the men. Dang. So, so they, were, they were obviously working under the assumption that they would still be there when it was all over. Like the, so they were kind of writing checks that they couldn't uh, fill a little bit. Well, there was a agreement between the German government and the Latvian government that in, in return for protecting Latvia from Bolshevism, the Latvian government would give citizenship and land to the Germans who were fighting for them. Oh, so they'd even get citizenship where they were, yes. where, where they would be planted. Okay. That's right. But eventually the Latvian government went back on its promise and the Fry Corps lost. The, the Fry Corps operated with the tacit consent of the Entente. Uh, the Entente agreed because they had no way of, of protecting uh, the, that area from Bolshevism. They agreed to allow the Germans to fight and, and, and protect that region. But uh, afterwards, uh, the Germans proved a little too effective in taking that area back from Bolshevism. The Entente got scared. So... 
they went so they they removed their consent eventually and the latvian government went back on its promise and most of those men never saw a penny or a square foot of of land wow so so they they cleaned up latvia they cleaned up the bolsheviks the like whatever force was there and then didn't they didn't get any compensation more or less dang so the latvia so the Latvians are the bad guys in this, it sounds like. Or the Latvian government. I shouldn't say the Latvians. Well, that's that's a complicated moral question. Okay, yeah, you're right. Well, and one reason is because the Latvian government had only existed for like 10 seconds at the time this happened. Because right. before that, they were part of Russia, they were part of Prussia, they are part of all these different things. And it's. I was asking my wife before the show, I was like, honey, do you know how many countries went into world war one versus how many came out of it. That's right. There were, there were, there were so many countries that just plain didn't exist at the end of world yep. war one. One of them being the country that started world war one, Austria, Hungary, right? That, that empire no longer existed, but their main ally Germany did, which is why Germany got hit with the bill, all the blame for world war one, even though they didn't start it, they were just there for their allies. But all these little Baltic countries like Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, you know, Yugoslavia, you know, all these places came out of World War I with these new independence movements and these sort of nationalistic movements. Um, R- Russia no longer existed. It was now Soviet Union, right? That happened. That's why that's how Russia got out of World War I is because they basically had this communist revolution where they killed the czar and set up their new government and then started kind of sort of eating all the smaller states next to them. But it was this crazy, like divisive time where everyone and everyone and their mother is like, hey, I want to have my own country. And so all these little tiny countries that can't even defend themselves start springing up from these old sort of the decaying bodies of these old empires. But but it's interesting because like the baggage around that is that there are people that are living on that land. And so it's like, what did and it, it always it seems like it keeps coming back to this but what do they identify as what what, what i i'm sure that came into a uh a, a big part of the the story here is like what about the the latvians what what, what did they think about the the promises that their government was giving to the fry corps that, that they never came to fruition but i'm sure they knew about the their agreements right but what do, do you know anything about that the locals so the the existence of the Baltic barons definitely created a ethnic hierarchy within the region. So most of the Baltic barons uh, never bothered to learn Latvian, or if they did, it was incredibly broken Latvian. The Latvians were were often part of the estates. They worked on the estates of the Baltic barons. I mean, as as for their participation in in nationalist movements, the nationalism of that time was formed by Bolshevism. Mm. And Bolshevism has had the same hold on people that it does right now. Their I, their identities were wielded by Bolshevism and they, they received false uh, promises of what Latvian and or, or you know baltic independence could do for them right okay and, and yeah th- th- this is kind of during like a transition time from like going from a more very hierarchical uh society to a more like maybe representative democratic like stuff so so it's like this kind of messy in between time where 
uh, well, to they, a Marxist, they didn't, they didn't have. The, the, sorry, what was that? To a Marxist society. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the Bolshevism was was kind of the driving force pushing the the old the the older style. I'm not sure what to call it. Like, I don't know what what, what would you call it that the Bolshevism was pushing out. Uh, Bolshevism. I mean, it it it, it was Marxism ultimately. Yeah, that that's that was kind of the the new thing. What what? So, so they're, they're pushing the aristocracy, I guess. The, the, out. Bourgeois, the bourgeoisie. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And and that was well, that was mostly the Germans, right? Or the the German, it, the Baltic Germans. Okay. It was whoever the educated, you know, wealthy class were. But it's interesting that you bring up um, Scott like this transition period. That's exactly what it was because all of a sudden, like the war is over, and now it's like, hey, everyone gets a country. It's like Oprah. It's like you get a country, and you get a country, yeah. and you get a country. And then the Bolsheviks were like, whoa, okay, hold on now, comrade. How about there's no country at all and you all just, you know, share everything. But it's interesting that because, Nim, you brought up earlier the 1905 kind of the first Russian revolution. I think they call it the first revolution, I think. But that was a revolution in Russia that happened shortly after the Russo-Japanese War. And part of the reason it happened is because Russia basically got their trash kicked by the Japanese, which is like this huge slap in the face to the entire Western civilized world. But... The, uh, the czar, one of the things that he implemented was, okay, hey, you guys, you Russians, you want a democratic government? Here's the Duma. You can have a, a, an elected sort of almost like a parliament, right? Mm-hmm. But he still kept himself as the head, and he literally declared himself as head autocrat, and he could veto anything the Duma did. And so ultimately it didn't work. But it's interesting because after this whole hundred-year period of getting rid of the czar, Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union ended, guess what they called their new government? The Duma. That's what Russia's government is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's definitely this transition period where all of a sudden people are like, you know what? I want to be able to like vote and stuff. But then you also have this whole Bolshevism thing basically just taking over everywhere and kind of start starting in Russia and kind of moving out across the world. One thing that's interesting about the Fry Corps, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nim, but it seems like they fought for different people and almost different causes, different countries, different entities. But it seems like the one unifying thing is they all just hated communists. It's like they fought against yeah. communism wherever it was found, basically. Yeah, that I mean that that was the goal of of most uh, European countries at that time was to block the spread of Asian Bolshevism into Europe. And by far, uh, the most effective force in that were the were the German Freikorps. To a large extent, Europe has the the Asian uh, the Baltic Freikorps to thank for protecting Europe from from Asian Bolshevism. Yeah, it seems like they were like the front lines of of keeping the like the incoming Russian communism Absolutely. out, right? Absolutely. That that's interesting, and and the, the most interesting part about it is how forgotten they are. And yeah, that's your your good work is is uh, bringing that to light more and more. I think it, that's pretty dang important. So let's uh, now that we know who the Freikorps is um, and kind of what they were doing, um, what their goals were. They they, they, are, they honestly, it, I'm getting like hints of a previous episode with Roland the Headless Thompson that's Gunner. That's what I was thinking right? too. They're all Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, yeah, man. They, they, the bottom of the Freikorps. They, they heard the burst and now they they bought it, right? They bought the gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call back. Call back. Go <laughs> go listen to Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner episode. Episode episode two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's let's get into the lyrics and 
they're, they're pretty they're pretty kind of downer lyrics but it makes sense based on based on what we've learned like i mean most things in in this part of the world at that time is going to be pretty downer but that's 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 okay all right who wants to who wants anything, to start deal, any, anything dealing with communism is always depressing it is so turns, the Grenzbach im Austin is the name. Uh, Nim, how, how do you translate the title of the song? Because it's translated several different ways. Yeah, I mean, the border watch stops in the east would be uh, pretty close. Uh, a good translation, I think. Yeah, that's kind of what I saw. I've seen it also the border guard halted in the east, yeah. the border watch held in the east. I've seen different ways of writing it, but basically what it is is whoever's guarding the borders, the border watch, the border guard, border guard that they stopped in the east. In this case, east of Germany being you know, the Portland Baltic essentially, yeah. Baltics, yeah. So anyway, go ahead, man. So why don't we why don't we start picking apart the lyrics here for the for the our listeners? We're only going to do the English lyrics mainly because none of us are fluent in German, and because it'd be an extra long episode if we did both of them. Yeah, and, and the, I mean, the only version of the actual song we have is in German, I believe. And so, so when you listen to yeah. it, just enjoy the sounds of the German language with the with the beat behind it. So, um, but as far as like now, we can, we have the privilege of reading it in english um all right i'll, I'll kind of uh, start reading if you have anything to, to add just uh, stop me the border watch held in the east long against the enemy today their last post returns back to the fatherland so what point is this uh referencing well, it's like Nim was saying, so he's writing this after his estate was kind of like burned down by communists, essentially, and then he's rebuilding it. And I, I think he's he's almost like hearkening back to like the border watch held in the East long against the enemy. Because again, as Nim said, this guy can trace his lineage to living in this land outside of Germany for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Right. And they've kind of been sort of holding their own against various different enemies, whether it was like marauding tribal peoples or whether it was, um, you know, nationalist movements for, of Latvians or whether it was communists. They've, they've sort of held the line this whole time. Right. And so and they're finally pushed back. Well, are they pushed? So they're pushed back to their fatherland, back to Germany. Yeah. Weary and decimated in true knighthood, the best have stayed us others lacked the strength. Um, I'm not sure how how well that's translated, but uh, yeah, just the uh, the language of of the knighthood because this the Baltic Germans first appeared here as actual knights in the in the Livonian Crusades, and so they're hearkening uh, back to that tradition. They saw themselves as knights. Is that what it's getting at? I, I think they did, and if you and this this time period is something I've studied a lot. This I this this kind of World War One time period because it's it's a time of moving from the old world to the new world. And so if you look at like for example the like the French for example when they entered World War One in 1914, they were still going off to war wearing the exact identical outfits that the guys going to fight with Napoleon a hundred years earlier were wearing. And so again, it's this whole idea of like, we're, we're knights, like on horseback, because in World War One people were still fighting on horseback. The Fry Corps, a lot of them were on horseback. They had cavalry units, mm -hmm. right? And so this idea of being a knight wasn't something, I don't think it was something like nowadays where, where we think of like, oh, he's like a white knight, he's a gentleman or whatever. Like these guys were straight up like, no, we are descended from knights. You know, we're descended from the, the brethren of the sword. 
And um, to give a, a tad bit of more context to that, the Brethren of the Sword was this Livonian crusade, like Nim said, that conquered this area, tamed this native, this wild land, you know, settled it with their families and, and kind of grew there. But it, they were later defeated in battle. Most of them were. And whoever was left of the Brethren of the Sword actually joined the Teutonic Order of Knights, um, another Germanic, you know, sort of knighthood. But um, what's interesting is the Teutonic Knights still exist today. There's actually a Grand Master of Teutonic Knights really? straight up in Germany now, and he's still he's still they still he's like the 66th Grand Master of Teutonic Knights now. It's purely religious now and has been for the past 200 years. But it's a little bit interesting that this this idea of knighthood, of Germanic knighthood, it still persists in some small way from all the way back to, to this time period. Yeah, I think the modern Teutonic Order also does like charity work and things like that. But Yeah, it's kind of like another Catholic organization, I know, but it's still kind of They're not waging war anymore. Yeah, yeah they're, they're military. They their military. <laughs> it's just dormant. It'll come back, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they're waiting on the Pope to call call the next crusade, man. Then the <laughs> and they're ready. They're ready to go. Yep. All right. Who wants to take over reading the lyrics? I can because on the on verse two because I have a question about this one for Nim. Cool. So verse two it says, but we so they're, they're leaving the east and they're heading to the father the fatherland. It says, but we bring the banner that waved before us in battle from Riga's bloody plain in all its honor. The battle-scarred flag never bows for an enemy, and today and always points the way east. Now, I know Riga is a city that's still around today. It's the capital of Latvia, and I know there's many battles there, hence the bloody plain. Mm -hmm. The banner is referring to a flag that these guys carried, and what they're basically saying is, hey, our, our rear guard, the last of our soldiers, the last of our knights fleeing our homeland in the east is bringing the flag back with them. So my question is, is Nim, do you know or do you have a theory on what flag they're talking about? Because there's several different flags for this time period for these people, and I'm curious if you know or if you, or if you have a theory on what flag they're talking about, because I honestly don't know. I would assume that it's the German flag of the time because most of the men who fought in the Baltic Freikorps were German nationalists and then the Baltic Barians had also become uh, German nationalists. Riga, in, in this case, uh, Riga is referring to uh, m most likely the battles that happened in, in 1919. Uh, starting on uh, May 22nd, which was the coup de main in, in Riga by the Baltic Freikorps, which was on that day the Baltic Freikorps took over Riga from the Bolsheviks. So it would, it would have been a flag that would, that would have been common during 1919. All right. And it says it bows for no enemy. Uh, no, sorry. It bows for an enemy? What, what's that translation like? The battle-scarred flag never bows for an enemy. Yeah, never bows for an never enemy. Never bows for an enemy. That's nice. right. Yeah. And today... And today and always point east. Yep, yeah, today and always point Almost like it's a reminder. It's like, hey, we brought this flag. We brought this flag back to the fatherland with us. Take it back to its ancestral homeland in the east almost is kind of what it's, what it's getting at. Right. The assumption was always that Baltic barons or Baltic Germans would eventually return to the east to to the Baltics. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it from my perspective. Someone that's like it's hard as as a modern American to think of 
time in the way they did back then because they've been there their family's been there for hundreds of years 700 years 800 years however long my family has been in where I'm living has been here for um, since the uh, the Utah pioneers settled Utah we my family's been here and so I feel very connected to this land and that and that's that's only like I don't know 150 years it's not yeah. but multiply that by four you know five mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh it's something that i don't think i i have a, a real grasp on on what it meant for them um to be yeah. kicked out of their land it's a foreign concept for americans because like you've been here same as me scott like several generations right because of pioneers and everything yeah but for americans that's a long time yeah. oh you dude you've been here for you know 200 years or whatever that's a long time for an american but like you said for these baltic germans and other peoples around the world it's like okay that's child's play i've been here for almost a thousand years bro yeah, you know what i mean exactly. like it's, it's a crazy amount of time so sorry nim i think you're gonna say something i didn't mean to cut you off no i mean that's 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 pretty much what made this song so important to me the you know hundreds of years of investment in this land of building estates patronizing the arts cultivating the land and it all sort of gets taken away from you by bolsheviks and that's an eternal story right Mm -hmm. people create something really good and and then communists come and ruin it they say no that's mine yeah I i want that uh, what you built, it's really awesome, and you're enjoying, and because of your beliefs, uh, it became what it is. I want it. Yeah, and they could never do anything remotely similar to the people that they destroy. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. No, no, the, the, they're, the, it's like they can't create. All they can do is is take. That's right. And and the Fry Corps, more than any other group, recognize the damage that Bolshevism and communism does to a people. Walter von Meden, who was one of the leaders of the one of the Freikorps, the Meden Freikorps, in who that participated in the in the nineteen nineteen coup in Riga, he he reflects on the damage that the revolution, the November Revolution, had on Germany, because he when he left for war. He he developed a camaraderie with with his with his battery. He was the ca- he was the captain of the battery, and on his return in his memoir, all all he can talk about is interacting with these what he would call like red sleeves or Novemberlings, and all the interaction with them was just miserable because they were just they were they were mutineers, they were deserters. They were weak men. They cared for nothing else but their own. They went around attacking old people. And all they would do is destroy. And that became that the return from the First World War to the homeland became a a point that that motivated a lot of the men who participated in the Baltic Frag Corps to do so because they witnessed how Marxism and Bolshevism had completely ruined their own people and the mentality of their own people. So they saw it as an imperative to go east and and protect Germany and protect all of Christian Europe. Well, it's like you said, Scott, like communism is based on taking, allegedly taking from the haves and giving to the have nots, right? That is it. It, it's, it builds nothing. It contributes nothing. It, all it does is take from those that have created or contributed and give to those that haven't. 
right and expect and expects a, 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 a you know good a benefit from that right yeah and it, it's very short-sighted like what what happens when when the production that that the haves have enjoyed is gone like what, what happens when that's gone but well that's because real communism hasn't been tried yet man <laughs> that's true that's why <laughs> So, Nim, do you want to take uh, verse... We only have four verses in this thing. Do you want to take verse three then? Sure. It rushes forth to admonish its forefather's spirit. Despite all misery and hardship, the German future calls. Have we also become strangers, you brothers of the Reich? From west and south and north, the banner stays the same. This is why I think he's probably talking about the German flag, right? From west and south and north, the banner stays the same. And in the stanza previous to that, he's reflecting that we have become strangers to you brothers of the Reich. What had happened was that after the, as we talked about earlier, after the Freikorps succeeded in liberating Riga from Bolshevism, eventually the German Empire had to relinquish relinquish support for the fry corps so they were no longer supported by the german government or the entente and the feeling was amongst the fry corps and and the baltic barons was that we have been left alone to fend for ourselves now the germans no longer had the legal authority to operate within within the baltics it's interesting here that they say you know the the german future calls and later on you brothers of the reich Reich is the German word for kingdom, mm-hmm. and and everyone knows that that you know Germany under Hitler he called the Third Reich because he he kind of sort of rewrote some of the German history and kind of said there's these three German stages of history. There's the First Reich, the Second Reich, and now we're in the Third Reich, which right. is going to persist for a thousand years. That was his idea, right? But that this this didn't originate with Hitler. That was not his idea. No, no, because either. this this song predates. Nazis, Nazi Germany. Hitler was alive, so he had been familiar with this because he's a temporary of the guy writing this. But this idea of like a German, a German kingdom that may not necessarily be a country, right? Because a country is a new idea. Germany is a new idea here, but this idea of like German peoples are all united under this kingdom throughout the world, kind of this pan-Germanism, if you will. It's kind of an it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to hear from somebody writing from 1919 or 1918, you know? Yeah, right. was a pretty common word used at that time to denote yeah. the uh, idea of of greater Germany. Right. And, and the, the other interesting part of this uh, of this verse is, it, it, and it's kind of sad, but they're, they're, they're being called back to their fatherland, but they're, but even in their fatherland they're they've become strangers. Like That's they're right. going back, they're going back to their their brothers of their kingdom, but they, but they're they're strangers in their in their fatherland, and so it's the west, south, and north are all kind of united in a way. The far the where they were in the east are were cut off, and now they're bringing back in, and so now they they don't really have a home. They're back with their brothers, but they're not really home. Yeah, I mean the question he's he's pondering is that we we've become strangers to you you no longer support us but from the west south and north the banner's the same we're all germans so why are, why have we become strangers to you mm-hmm. all right now we'll go into verse 4 whether we also perish here that does that doesn't bother you 
to bequeath the flag is our last duty. I may no longer hesitate. Surely they will force your mind to carry it to the Eastland. It wants it must go there to carry it to the Eastland. It wants it must go there. So it's it's still talking about the flag, right? Yeah, it's like a passing the torch moment. That's right. That's exactly what it is. The Eastland refers to the entire Baltic region, obviously. And when it says whether we also perish here, that doesn't bother you. Um, I'm assuming that saying whether we perish here in Germany, that shouldn't bother you. You, you should take it. it. Now it's now we're passing the torch. It's it's your responsibility to take it east again. Is that what it's saying? Right. Like that's speaking right. to the future. Okay, future generations. That's all. Yeah, that's all it's about is ensuring a survival for German identity within the Baltics for future generations because they had already been there for 700 years or so. Right. That, yeah. And, and to bring it back to bring it back home, I suppose I talked about my, the, where I live has historical family context to me. If I were ever pushed out, I would want my future generations to come back here to, to do the same thing. Like if I, if I have to die in some foreign land, I want my, kids or their kids or whoever to go back to our land I, I totally resonate with that so nim i got a question for you man now that we've gone through the whole song um and we'll play it at the end of the podcast so this song was a a poem That's right. written by written by this guy you know carl freiherr monteufel konstangen and the original title of the song or excuse me, the original title of the poem was Die Baltenfana, mm-hmm. which is the Baltic flag. Yep. Now, as far as I know, Carl, Carl uh, Monteufel Konstagen, he was not, he was a poet, but he was not necessarily a musician. Is that right? And if so, how, when was this set to music or do you know where this tune came from? Because every cover I've heard of this song used the exact same tune. And I'm curious where that tune came from. Do you know? I'm not aware where the tune came from, actually, but yeah, um, Karl Manteuffel Kadstangen was just a poet, although he did live to see his music performed or his poetry performed in, in music halls. And it was very weird at that time to have a, a governor of who he was the administrator in Courland, who was a poet, and he reflects that previously like in his father's days that wouldn't have been possible or respectable but things were changing when when he was when he became administrator yeah because i was reading about the guy he was born in like 18 the 1870s like the mid 1870s and he lived all the way to 1946 Mm -hmm. so he lived through both world wars yeah it's amazing to see what like to think like he was he was born literally five years after germany came into existence and he watched Germany go through both world wars and basically be almost not exist after this, after the second world war. Um, I, I can't imagine like just the, 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 the things that this guy saw in his lifetime that, that happened to his people, you know? Yeah. The Manteuffel family was one of the most influential families in the, in the Baltics. Hans Manteuffel, he sort of led the coup de main in, on May 22nd. And of course, Hazo Manteuffel, he became an important historical figure as well, uh, who, who worked in uh, the Wehrmacht and then eventually uh, came to the United States 
and taught military strategy. The, 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 the Manteuffel family, undoubtedly one of the most influential and important families of the region. Yeah, and that, that estate that you were talking about earlier that was burned down during that first revolution, he had it rebuilt. That's right. And and then, but after all the Baltic Germans left, that estate still stands. That, that, estate that, that, still that, stands. that, that estate's still there. Absolutely. And you can go visit it and you can go visit the empty estate. It's empty? There's no one living there? Uh, as far as I'm aware, no one lives there anymore. It, it's part museum now, pretty much. Hmm. Interesting. I was going to say, yeah, the original, this original estate, I was reading about it earlier, it was built in like 1800. And then in mm-hmm. like 1905, it was burned down. But then um, Monteufel Kotzdagen, he had it rebuilt to like the exact specifications that it was before. Yeah. Very and that's, and, and this rebuilding of this, of this estate was what brought him so much joy and, and, and we think inspired this, this poem. But I think it was actually destroyed again during world war one or world war two and then rebuilt again. But it's uh, but, it, but like I said, it still stands in the same spot. And I think it's still called, if I'm not mistaken, Nim, correct me if I'm wrong. It's still called the Kotzdangen uh, estate or, or manor. I believe it is. Yes. Hmm. And it is in, yes. uh, the name lives on rural Latvia. If anyone wants yeah. to go visit it. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks, Nim. And this is a, a great song. I, I know you can talk about it earlier, but I mean, I'm assuming you found you discovered this song in your um, in your in your research, and I know that there's other songs that you've sort of kind of stumbled upon that are sort of in this vein. Mm-hmm. What made you pick this song today for this episode? I'm, I'm curious. This song was pretty much what inspired my interest in the Baltic region and the Baltic Freikorps. This this was the beginning of this adventure for me. Interesting. That's awesome. Did did you first encounter it as a song or as a poem? I first encountered it on YouTube as a song. Nice. It's sort of a popular uh, song on YouTube. It has a couple million views. Yeah, um, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, we were, talk- we were talking about that. The The link that you sent us for this song uh, has like seven point seven and a half million views. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's doing some numbers. And it's even on, It's even there's a couple different versions of it that are even on uh, Spotify. Yes. Um, not, not the one you sent us, I don't think it is, but there's a bunch of different versions with the same tune, same lyrics on Spotify. Yeah, it so, it was an important awesome. piece for the for the Baltic Germans and the Baltic Freikorps. I mean, it was archived in Ernst von Salomon's book uh Das Buch von Fre- vom Freikorpskämpfe vom deutschen Freikorpskämpfe something like that. So it was important enough that Ernst considered it an imperative to include it in his sort of historical preservation work of of the Baltic Fry Corps. So so they had their reasons for preserving it. What what do you want our audience to to get out of this song and this story? I want the audience to understand the struggle against Bolshevism. That Bolshevism always seeks to destroy what better people create. That's good. That's simple. I like it. Agreed. Amen. So, Nim, we really appreciate coming on the show, man. We hope that you, you know, find more of these sort of, you know, golden nuggets of, of historical significance here, um, and you want to come on the show again. But before before we kind of end everything, is there is there anything that you want? You know, where can people find more about your work? You know, is there anything that you want to plug before we before we sign off? You can find me on Twitter at Anchor Still. 
That's A-N-C-H-O-R-S-T-I-L-L. And from there, you can find everything else. You can find the NIM stack. Yeah, we'll, we'll link your we'll link your Twitter and your and the NIM stack and anything else we need to link to the song the and, and all this stuff in the show notes. So so uh, scroll down a little bit and look at that. But yeah, thanks, NIM. This was this has been this is a great episode. Every episode we get to the end, it's like, oh, this is my favorite episode. This is like the best. It it was really good. But like I said, looking at history from this point of view because i'm always looking at it from like from a western point of view from like even like as far west as america obviously um but uh looking at it from more of an eastern view it's been really eye-opening and uh really cool so yeah thank you my pleasure thank you all right um with that we'll have the song play us out and we will see you all in the next episode Die Grenzwacht hielt im Osten dem Feinde lange Stand. Heut kehrt ihr letzter Posten zurück ins Vaterland. Erschöpft und aufgerieben in treuer Ritterschaft. Die Besten sind geblieben, uns andern brach die Kraft. Doch bringen wir die Fahne, die wehen vor uns stritt, von Riegers blutgem Plane in allen Ehren mit. Die Sturm bewährt sich nimmer vor einem Feind geneigt und heute noch und immer den Weg nach Osten zeigt. Es rauscht dorthin zu mahnen, zu ihr der Vätergeist. Trotz aller Not ein Ahnen, das deutsche Zukunft heißt. Sind wir auch fremd geworden, euch Brüdern aus dem Reich, aus West und Süd und Norden, das Banner blieb sich gleich. Ob wir auch hier verderben, das kümmere euch nicht. Die Fahne zu vererben, ist unsere letzte Pflicht. Ich darf nicht länger sagen, bald zwingt sie euren Sinn. 
nach Ostland sie zu tragen, sie will, sie muss dorthin. Nach Ostland sie zu tragen, sie will, sie muss dorthin.